Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Kate Campbell, welcome to this very special episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It's been highly requested and I know everyone's really looking forward to it and there's been a bit of a build-up, so hopefully we uh, don't disappoint. Yes, indeedy. We think, I think this episode could well be the most popular episode we ever do for the series. You think it's going to be 21 things in 2021? That is out for those listeners playing along at home. That is our most popular episodes by a long way. It's like that episode, Daylight, and some other stuff that we've talked about in the past. I think this one is going to be bigger and better than that one. Otherwise, I'll never live down my fish finger tip. Yeah, that's it. And also your parents splitting a coffee. I know. Uh, Splitting one large coffee to get two small ones with the same purchase. Every family member knows that now. I (laughs) didn't realize how baristas around Australia are (laughs) outraged. I know. I'm, I'm crippling the coffee industry. Yep. Okay. So over to you. All right. So today is the final episode of our Shares Month series that we hope you've been enjoying thus far. It's something new for us that we haven't really tried before. So if you haven't listened to episodes one to four, where we went through our share investing checklist, we introduced you to Catherine and Kevin, analysts at Rask Invest. Of course, you already know Owen. And then last week, we answered some of your questions. So this final episode, we're going to be giving you a hypothetical portfolio of where we'd be investing some money today. And there's a few rules that we'll introduce in a second, but I think it's important to just introduce everyone first. So Catherine, say a couple of words about yourself. Hello, I'm Catherine. I am an analyst at Rask and I mostly focus on Australian companies. And is your stock going to be the best one to pick today? Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. What about you, Kev? Um, yeah, analyst at Rask as well, um, covering all sorts of things from global companies to some of the our rockets picks, which are smaller companies that are coming up. So yeah, love just sort of learning about businesses and investing. So I'm um, really happy to be here, guys. Tell us about yourself, Kate. Oh, me? I've been around here way too long. Entrepreneur? Yes, totes. Yeah. Well, I'm the only one in this room that's not an analyst. So she says that, but she is. Go on. Yeah, I'm an analyst of life. Um, but Yeah, so anything (laughs) I say today is not to be taken as an analyst pick. It's just things that I like. Yeah. And my research process is very loose. Let's just say that compared to the other three in this room where they actually are doing the proper due diligence for our members. But I'm not doing any research for our members on the share side of things. So I can just choose what I like. Yeah, fair enough. And everyone can choose what they like because here's... I'm going to start with the rules of the game. But first of all, to explain the rules of the game, I need to give you a warning that what we're about to talk about can be quite sensitive for people. Investing money in stocks can be risky. So anything that we say here is limited to general financial advice only. We are not giving you personal financial advice. As crisp as Kate's voice sounds coming through this, um, we actually are talking to many people at once. We don't know who each individual person is on the end of this microphone, 
So please keep that in mind. If you want someone to sit down with you, do a risk profile, you know, understand your needs, goals, objectives, you need to speak to a financial advisor. You know, and we, that's not us. That's not us. We are simply providing general information. And I'll, I'll tell a story about a, a certain fellow in just a moment. Shout out to Ryan Hasty who gave us a piece of slang, which is busier than a one-legged river dancer. We actually have been really busy preparing this episode. So the story. So the story starts like this. Don't be a Dilbert. Dilbert would buy each of these shares, uh, these ETFs and these investments that we're about to talk about without thinking about his or her risk profile, goals, reading the PDS, or speaking with, we'll say his financial advisor. Investing can be risky. Things will go up and down, sometimes very fast. This is normal, but it can be risky. Notice how I've said that a few times. Don't be a galah and carry on like a pork chop if your shares fall 10% in a day, a week or a month or even a year. If you haven't followed all of our steps in episodes 1 to 11, that includes getting your go bag sorted, which is your emergency fund, having a reliable income, you've got three plus years, you could you could invest your money for three plus years without worrying about it. If you haven't made sure your partner is on board, then go and do those things first and then start investing. Dilbert would buy all of the shares and ETFs we're about to talk about, chuck a wobbly when it goes down a few percent and then never come back to the share market. I see this all the time. Basically, Dilbert would think the share market is a dog's breakfast. He'd probably call investing gambling and then convince all of his friends and family and then teach his kids that investing is risky. He'd probably even open a fake account online, jump onto Reddit, and then start fear-mongering, spruiking fear on Facebook, trolling investors who try to do the right thing for the long term. And you know what? Dilbert would probably sound smarter than all the optimists like us who are just trying to say that investing is not like gambling. Investing is about finding businesses and just owning them. Dilbert would have a problem for every solution, all because he didn't think carefully before investing. So that's the story about Dilbert. And it's a bit of a side, I guess, digression. But what we're going for here is a bit of fun. We're talking about investing $10,000 hypothetically. There are four of us in this room recording right now. The rules of the game are this. Each person is assigned two and a half thousand fake dollars. By my count, that would be $10,000 overall. No one person can have more than three ideas, three investment ideas, three ETFs, three shares. You can only have a maximum of three. And you, can, you have to tell us how much of your $2,500 is going to be invested in each one. So without further ado, Kate, we're going to have to start with you because you are the grand analyst of the Australian Finance Podcast. I think that should be your new title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to go with you. You've got your first one of three. It's a company or an ETF. What are you picking? How much are you investing in it? What is it? Tell us about the company and some of the risks. All right. So here's my non-analyst pick. But back in December, when we thought about doing this whole series, I knew that a company I wanted to talk about on the show was Disney. And I roped in everybody else around me to actually help analyze Disney. And I think it just made me love the company even more, just because I think Disney is one of the few companies in the world that can actually make magic seem real. So I think it would be remiss of me not to include Disney in my 
portfolio. I do own about $200 of Disney shares, but for today's purpose, I'm going to allocate $750 to Disney. So I think if you want to know more about the company, listen to the uh, other two episodes. I'm not going to repeat myself, but I think Disney is super diversified across the entire company. It's It's got such a unique brand and personality, and I don't think anyone can replicate it uh, in the same way. It's been going for a long time. And I know Owen wanted us to all talk about some of the risks of each company. So I think some of the risks, as we highlighted in the episodes, and I know Kev definitely mentioned was like prolonged closure or limited capacity of the parks, hotels, cruise ships, which I don't even know if cruise ships are going to happen. I I don't know. Um, Cruise ships. Yeah. Cruise ships are still on pause. Uh, Holidays and also the risk of a big budget because they're spending like 500 million plus on some films film flopping. Sorry. Film flopping. Yeah. Like if they make Avengers number three and that completely crashes because they kind of finished the plot with the second part. Um, yeah, that could really destroy some capital, but yeah. that's my first pick. $750 to yeah. Disney. That is on the New York Stock Exchange, NYSE, under the ticket code DIS, yeah. DIS. Disney. Don't diss Disney. (laughs) Don't diss Disney. So Kate's allocated 750 fake dollars to her position. Wonderful first pick. And I've got to say, I saw this coming based on the last month of episodes, (laughs) but that's okay. Great pick. Nonetheless, there are no points for originality. Uh, Catherine Go. Yes. I think you're the youngest member of the team. I guess Um, so. I think you are. That means you have the best ideas. (laughs) So over to you, Catherine. What is your first pick? How much are you allocating? I think I want to put a thousand bucks in this one. Whoa, whoa, going out with early comes out swinging. Okay, big guns. Okay, but I'm going with the largest company in the world. (gasps) Anyone want to take a guess? Um, Disney. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. So I'm looking around in this room right now, we're all together, and I see three MacBooks, probably three iPhones. We've got keyboards, mouses, I've got AirPods in my pocket. Damn it, Kevin. Kevin's the only odd one out here. I am definitely the odd one out here just flying the uh, the oddball flag. <laughs> <laughs> PC. But, uh, yes, my pick is Apple. So Never heard of it. No. What is it? But it just ticks so many boxes of what we look for. So, like, the checklist. Um, it's the epitome of brand power. You know, you pay thousands of dollars just for an Apple product. Uh, extreme customer loyalty high switching costs. Um, there's heaps of optionality. So, you know, Apple's expanded into watches, for example, AirPods, heaps of new products coming out, new services as well, particularly, um, which is what we think at Rask is really going to be really important for Apple going forward, the services business. So it's high, higher margin, meaning that more of the revenue dollars flows down to Apple's bottom line. It's like profit for services business. So that's like iCloud, uh, Apple Music, what is it, Apple TV, Yep. Fitness, all those sorts of things. What else? Network effects. So I know I've heard stories of people sticking with iPhone or moving to iPhone because of like the iMessage blue bubble uh, <laughs> balance sheet. It's got about $204 billion of cash on its balance sheet. And that is more than the market cap of 465 stocks in the S&P 500. So that's just an idea of how big this company is. And the most recent results, it was like seriously impressive. It grew revenue at 54%. And this is a $2 trillion company growing revenue at 54%. So it was, yeah, really, really impressive. Probably a bit of an outlier because it's coming off growth in the iPhone 12. So it's super cycle upgrade. But yeah, really impressive business. And 
Yeah. And nice. like it. Yes, plenty of risks, of course. So probably a big one is regulation. So I'm sure you've heard of mm-hmm. plenty of fines and lawsuits. I think there's currently one at the moment about Apple's App Store, um, how it's got a monopoly over the market. I think Spotify is one of the companies suing about 30% cut that it takes on all the purchases that go through the App Store. In the short term, there's also the global chip shortage, which is happening all around the world for the chips that go into electronic devices. And then, of course, competition is another big risk as well. Yep. Cool. So built like a brick shit house. Um, it's got over $200 billion of cash on its balance sheet. It does have debt. Most of us use iPhones every day and we pay, as Kev would say, overs for that for that luxury. <laughs> but it is by far the best, I guess, device maker in the world just based on its profitability and its ability to switch into services revenue. Kevin, so we've just come off a wonderful uh, pitch of Apple. What have you got for us? And how much are you allocating to your first investment? My first pick is uh, Pinterest and it is the ticket code there is P-I-N-S uh, on the New York, New York Stock Exchange. Um, and I'll be uh, allocating 800 buckaroos to that. <laughs> 800 buckaroos. I like it. It's precise. It, it's, it's really a social media app and uh, website um, and it really revolves around search relevance and discovering new ideas. And what we mean about that is it, it's an app that people go on to you know plan their wedding or to, to look at for inspiration for their reno or to look for interior design ideas. And, and we think the app and the platform has a bit of a secret source. And why I think that is because it all links to buying intention Um, because when you're going uh, on the website or on the app and you're flicking through pretty pictures and and all that looking for new ideas, like eventually – you know, further down that journey of the process that you're doing, whether you're you're planning that wedding or, or doing that reno, you're probably going to have to buy some goods at some stage. And mm-hmm. because the ads that it's serving up and the algorithm is quite clever, those ads that you are actually being served up are probably the products that you actually want to buy. And that just means that the conversions are super high for um, any peop- any advertisers that are putting ads on the platform. And, you know, we think that there's a really loyal customer base that are on the app. Um, that user base is growing quickly as well. And, you know, we think it solves that search and discovery problem as well as converting that into a final purchase. The risk, I would say, for this company is, is competition. Like it's, it, you know, Pinterest isn't small by any means, but it is small compared to some of the juggernauts that, you know, it does play with. And, you know, you've got Google in one corner, um, which is, you know, just owns everything in terms of just Google search, right? Like everybody goes on the internet. They don't, you know, they don't type in a website. They just go to Google and enter in what they want or enter in what they're looking for. And then obviously you've got on the other side is is Facebook and, you know, with Facebook owning Instagram and and WhatsApp and um, and Messenger, it, it's just an absolute juggernaut. So you, you've got guys that, uh, and if They've got a history of really replicating things that, you know, other companies have found successful, whether that's, you know, Snapchat or um, or TikTok, uh, you know, Zuckerberg, and uh, who is the, the founder and leader of, of Facebook, has found a way to replicate that technology and, and put it into their own apps. So, you know, it, like there's massive competition out there, but, you know, we think that it's it's got a bit of a unique advantage and... Um, yeah, we think that the advertising conversions are super high. If you're one of the 400 million pinners in the world, you'll know the platform inside out. If you're not, visit Pinterest.com to find out what it's all about. I was on there the other day looking for a breakfast bar inspiration. 
box on the uh, decking inspiration. So trying to find out how I can build a box out of Merbu decking and put that on my decking. Man cave inspo. Kate, there are so many things you can do on Pinterest. It is, as Kev says, a visual search engine. So it's good pick. High growth type business. 800 buckaroos too. Not even dollars, just buckaroos straight out there with the big the big ones. So, okay. So the grand reveal, my first pick. <clears throat> Better be good after all this big talk. Oh, wow. It's been a mystery, listeners. Kate is the only one that revealed in advance what her companies would be. She is so confident that they stand <laughs> scrutiny that she put them out <laughs> in advance for us to just let her know. But my first one, I am not nearly as confident. No, I am, is PayPal. So PayPal on the... Uh, NASDAQ Stock Exchange, N-A-S-D-A-Q, as I'm writing it out, is P-Y-P-L. And I'm putting 1,000 hypothetical dollars into that. Thank you very much. Starting high. Starting high. Go big or go home. Uh, oh, that's actually Kevin, uh, Catherine and I both $1,000 out of the gates. So PayPal, what does it do? Well, you've probably seen it everywhere. So I probably don't really need to explain the basics of it. But PayPal has been around for a very long time since Peter Thiel, Elon Musk, and a bunch of other gurus founded the company and came together to decide to create something that would allow for cross-border transactions of currencies and allow for payments online. So they were effectively uh, Bitcoin 20 years ago. Before Elon decided he wanted to go to space. Yeah, before Elon went to space, he was making uh, a website called x.com. He still pays for that domain. If you visit x.com in your web browser, it will come up with Y. And that is the only thing on the homepage of x.com because originally it was for cross-currency transactions. And then he came together with Peter Thiel and all the others to create PayPal. And PayPal then went through this series of rapid growth and it became the default trusted logo on the internet when you made payments. Um, I think, Kev, you talked about in the last episode how people, you know, until they've done online shopping, they're just not sure. Mm, it, like it's just that unknown and, and and what PayPal did was really provide that certainty that, you know, when you're, you're paying for something, it, it's like that that handshake relationship, right? Yeah. It, it's that trust that they've built. So, you know, great pick. Yeah, thanks, mate. Uh, so PayPal, it went through this iteration where it then became part of eBay. And so that was good and bad. eBay effectively opened PayPal up to hundreds of millions of users of the internet who were in that early marketplace, you know, buying and selling goods, which then by default created a PayPal account for them. And now it's a lot more, the market is growing faster than ever in terms of global e-commerce, but there are more competitors. So that's one of the risks. PayPal is up against companies like Stripe, which is a private company. Um, So we take payments at Rask for memberships via Stripe, no longer with PayPal, but we do take PayPal on our education site. And so there are risks there, but PayPal, for those of you who are listening from the US, you will know that PayPal also owns Venmo, which is one of the fastest growing direct to consumer, like peer to peer, all of us could share money pretty much. Like we could split a bill for dinner instantly through Venmo. It also owns Honey, which is that browser extension that you see in Chrome, which automatically finds the best coupon codes. That's the one all the YouTubers spruik. Yeah, because they get referral fees, <laughs> affiliate links. But it's, it's a good, like, why wouldn't you download Honey to your web browser if you're buying stuff online? It gets you the cheapest deal straight away. And so PayPal's got so much cash and cash flow that it just puts back into acquisitions or buys back stock or, or whatever. So it's a risky business insofar as competition and whatever happens to global payments, like Apple Pay is making huge inroads to this. So keep an eye on that. But yeah, for a thousand buckaroos, PayPal it is. Kate? You know, when I go to checkout now online and there's the option of Apple Pay, I pick Apple Pay. Well, damn it. <laughs> it's even easier. But you, you know just- what? 
Face ID. It all happens within the phone. So I own PayPal and Apple, Apple shares, so I'm happy for both. Oh, okay. You can you could pay with PayPal via Apple Pay, if, and you could pay me twice if you wanted to. Yeah, I don't think you can do that. I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I don't with know that. where you're going there. <laughs> okay, so that's that's one each. Yes. I feel like we've got to tighten up these pitches. Let's all right. get them tighter for this right. next round. Tighten right. ups. Tighten right. ups. Pick number two. Yes. Amazon. So. Surprise, Jeff surprise. Bezos's book baby that's taken over the world and my home. Book baby. Uh, ever since Owen got me hooked onto Amazon <laughs> late last year because he gave me a voucher and now I suddenly turned into don't use Amazon to a very loyal customer, I've fallen in love with Amazon Prime and the fact that I can order a book on a Saturday and have it arrive at my house in less than 24 hours on a Sunday. And that's Australia. And I mean, Australia Post just cannot compete with that. And as much as I love walking down Collins Street in Melbourne to Dimmicks, and I will support them to the ends of the earth, they don't have everything. They don't have the best prices. And Amazon is a good complement to that. So I have very much enjoyed using Amazon. I think if I'm going to spend that much money, I should put $750 on the line, okay. which is probably the amount I've spent on books over the Kate's last book game year. is very strong. <laughs> I had to cool. buy a new bookshelf to deal with that from Ikea, but I don't. Is Ikea a listed company? I don't think so. Maybe in some sort of Scandinavian country. Yeah. I don't support Ikea too. That was insane, that store. Yeah. yeah so, but Amazon owns so many different things, I- including their own TV service. And uh, I have enjoyed that as well. But in the US, like Whole Foods and things, they own Audible, which is also another favorite of mine. So I just think if I'm going to spend this much money of Amazon, I'm going to invest in Amazon. And that is my fundamental analysis of the company. No metrics. I have not looked at any numbers that we've discussed in any of the episodes. I've not done a single piece of analysis, but I just am spending money there. I'm going to invest in it. But I guess risks, thin profit margins, challenge to continue growth at the same place and because it is price quite now for strong growth. And this oh. is what Google told me. So there you go. <laughs> uh, so fun fact about seeing that we're sharing uh, web browser URLs. Uh, Amazon originally didn't start as Amazon.com. It started as Relentless.com. Um, and it was named that way because it would be relentless in its focus on customers, which it has done for more than 20 years. Great pick from you, Kate. Catherine, yes, I'm expecting big things for you in round two. And go. Uh, I think it's going to be the first ASX pick from the group so oh. far. I thought I'd Trailblazer. mix it up a bit. So I've got one US pick, one ETF and one ASX stock. So this one is an ETF. It is the cybersecurity one. So hack, ASX hack is a ticket code. Hack. Yes, beta shares, global cybersecurity ETF. Yep. Um, so basically it just invests in a bunch of, I think it's 40 companies at the moment that are exposed to cybersecurity. So I think in this day and age, especially on the back of COVID with everything moving online, I think cybersecurity is just going to become increasingly relevant. How much are you putting into this bad oh, boy? Oh, of course, $750. $750. $750. Yes. ones. That's the one. Okay. Yep. Uh, so the companies that are currently in this ETF at the moment, so you've got big names like Cisco, Accenture, uh, CrowdStrike, what have we got? Uh, Cloudflare. So it's might not be familiar with these names, but they kind of cover the whole um, security spectrum. So not just, you know, the actual software providers. There's like consulting. There's um, like the network. But yeah. Network just, security. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So just <laughs> the whole range. 
So this would be an easy way, excuse my interruption, an easy way to get exposure to a whole heap of different cybersecurity companies rather than picking one. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a thematic ETF and the thematic is cybersecurity. Cool. Uh, 0.67% management fee, which is a little on the high side for an ETF, but it's usually what you can expect for like sector-specific tactical ETF. In the short term, I guess the risk is a lot of these companies in the ETF are high-growth tech stocks, mm-hmm. um, so they're going to be very volatile. And long-term risk is that the cybersecurity industry doesn't grow as quickly as everyone's expecting. But uh, just a quick article I found from Forbes, um, just some numbers. The global cybersecurity market is currently worth $173 billion and it's expected to grow to $270 billion by 2026. So there are heaps of um, industry figures on this market online. Cool. Yeah. I feel like I've been hacked a few times. So um, there is definitely, I understand the use case for a lot of these companies. Good pick. Hack. H-A-C-K on the A-S-X. There's seven letters for you to digest. Kevin, numero two from you, amigo. What is it? Following on from the uh, Aussie theme from Catherine is uh, my number two pick is EML payments and that ticket. Ticket code is EML on the ASX, and I'll be allocating $800 again uh, to this company. I knew someone was oh, going right. to pick it. Put it simply, it's a, it's an Aussie-based sort of fintech company that has been growing pretty fast over the, couple, the last couple of years. It's all about sort of payments and payments infrastructure. We think that payments is like a, a really great business model um, because once you sort of set up the infrastructure, then um, the business model allows for, you know, really scalable growth. And what we mean by that is every sort of additional user or every additional customer that comes onto the platform really comes on at, at not much extra cost. They do sort of the back-end stuff that make payments really work and sort of ensures that money moves around um, correctly. They've got a couple of different business segments. Um, One is gift cards and services. Uh, So, you know, when you're buying that gift card for Christmas for your family or or friends, um, they do all the back-end infrastructure for that. They also do something that's called general purpose reloadable, which is basically very similar to that um, gift card, but you can put money back on it again. And those run on sort of uh, credit card rails like uh, MasterCard. And then they've also got another segment called Vans, which is like a virtual sort of uh, account, which basically means that, you know, I don't know if you guys have used sort of Google Pay or um, Apple Pay, um, you can actually upload um, a virtual credit card on that. And that just means that you don't have to go through your bank or for people that, you know, either that's too slow or they don't want to go through that process, um, AML provide uh, products and infrastructure for that. Mm. Um, the thing that I really love is that, you know, they've been going pretty hard in expanding outside of Australia as well. So they're in Europe, they're in the States. Um, and a lot of this has to do with the open banking um, stuff that's been going on. And what that really means for for customers and consumers is that um, we have access and better access to our um, our own data. And what that means is um, instead of the bank owning all your data and, you know, keeping that locked Lock, in lock and key, it means that, you know, we can use that, our own data and go, hey, um, can you provide me a, a product that's better suited to my needs and better suited to my uh, services? And that just means that, you know, as consumers, we usually get a better deal that's more tailored to us and we might be able to save some fees. Cool. In terms of uh, risk for this, you know, there's 
they are a bit of a disruptor, but you know, it, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a space that's got a lot of competition in it. Mm. So, you know, we're always on the lookout for what other businesses are trying to sort of eat their lunch. They've also made a lot of acquisitions lately. So uh, not all the growth that they've been doing has been um, organic. And, you know, with those big acquisitions, like we talked about sort of in last week's episode, there is risk, right? Like um, this company, you know, a lot of companies talk about, you know, synergies and things that they can do to save costs. But until that actually plays out, until, you know, they go down, you know, a year later or two years later from that acquisition. We won't actually know how that all sort of uh, flows through. So that's something that we're keeping an eye on, you know, and, you know, there's also obviously dealing with payments if there's any like security breaches or uh, system failures or anything like that, that could be, you know, really, really bad for this company. Um, It's also a high growth company. So, you know, if this growth starts to slow, you know, there could be some um, hits to the share price there. Yeah. Great pick, mate. EML. We actually interviewed, Catherine and I actually interviewed the CEO, Tom Cregan, not too long ago. So that's available to members of our Rask Invest service. EML, interesting company, fast growing. I like how you use the word organic. So just like planting a tree without using any fertilizer, an organic business, uh, a business that can grow organically, I should say, is one that doesn't need any acquisitions to get that revenue up. Just organic manure, which I don't understand how that analogy would link back in, but great <laughs> suggestion. You Kate. said fertilizer. Fertilizer, yes. Uh, fertilizer. Manure okay, is I don't a better know. option. Maybe that's like the profits that are reinvest back into the business. Yeah, I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> great pick, Kev. Okay, so I'm going to be <clears throat> a little bit different. I'm going to stick on the ASX as well. Wow, does that mean that... Nearly all of us have done an ASX pick. It does. Yeah, three in a row. Look at us supporting yeah. our home country. Uh, well, Kate, you could, you've got to have um, your one better be ASX, the next one, because then it's four in a row. No pressure. ASX, but not really. Okay. Ooh. Oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> the internals. Um, okay. So mine. What is mine? I'm going to start off with telling you how much I'm going to put into it. 500 uh, hypothetical dollars of my 2500 is going into this, and this is a company called Washington H. Sol Pattinson & Co., or WHSP, or if you want to use the ticker code, it's ASXSOL. So what on earth is this thing? I was hesitant to talk about this company because it might sound a bit unusual. It's an Australian company that's been around for over 100 years. On the ASX, the Australian share market, it is the oldest company. It is a company that has been around since long before I was alive, since before my parents were alive and since before my grandparents were alive. It is what we call a conglomerate or a holding company. So if you are a fan of Warren Buffett, you might understand what a holding company is. Effectively, this company buys parts of other companies. And the way they do this is it all started with a pharmacy over a hundred years ago. And I think it was Louis Pattinson effectively took over um, a pharmacy chain and then since then, it has grown to be go beyond pharmacies. And today, it doesn't own all of these companies, but it owns a big shareholding in the companies I'm about to mention, which include TPG Telecom. Um, so that is now merged with Vodafone Australia. So if you're a user of Vodafone or TPG, you are sending some of your broadband or mobile dollars back to the hands of Washington H. Sol Pattinson. It owns a big part of Australian pharmaceutical industries or API, which is a company that's behind, I believe they're behind Amcal or they're behind a couple of the big pharmacies. I should know off the top of my head, but I don't. A couple of the big pharmacies, if you know Washington H. Sol Pattinson Chemist or Sol Pattinson Chemist, 
That's obviously Sol Pattinson. That's where it all began. It owns a big part of a company called Brickworks. We've interviewed, or I interviewed a company, uh, Lindsay Partridge, who's the CEO of Brickworks. So it owns heaps and heaps of these companies. And the key thing about Solpats is that it's passed through the family. So currently, uh, Rob Milner is in charge of it. And the son, Tom Milner, who I've also interviewed, I wish you can go and watch that. Um, Tom is likely to play a big role in the next kind of iteration of Sol Pattinson. And it just keeps getting bigger. I don't think it's missed a dividend for 20 or 30 years. I think it's 50 years, is it? Yeah. Very, I think it's the, the longest dividend track record, like not missing a dividend on the ASX. Yeah, right. Okay. So this is a company that effectively holds other companies, takes some of their profits and gives it back to shareholders as a fully frank dividend. And so this is totally at odds with every single one of the companies that we've already suggested mm. in this hypothetical portfolio. So what could go wrong? Well, obviously management is crucial here because management decide where the money gets allocated. So if they make a poor decision or they fail to invest well for a very long period of time, it's not going to produce the returns that it has in the past. You might also overpay for it. You know, it, it owns a lot of businesses in traditional industries like bricks. It has exposure to coal. It has exposure to pharmacy. These industries aren't exactly, you know, on the bleeding edge of innovation for the most part, but they are very dominant businesses in their respective industries. So that's some of the things that could go wrong. It's ASX SOL, uh, Washington H. Sol Pattinson, got to be one of the longest names on the Australian stock market. Um, I don't own shares. I think this is one of the only companies I don't own shares in so far, that and Amazon, so... Mm. Just to add to that quickly, it hasn't missed a dividend payment since it listed in 1903. So 1903. Couple of wars in there. Yeah, a couple of wars, maybe a recession, a (laughs) pandemic or two, and it's steady as she goes, mate. Um, Soul Pats, yeah. Uh, uh, It's uh, probably the number one stock for most blue chip investors and people that love their income. Kate. We are on to the third and final All round. Right. I don't mean to put pressure on you, but as they say, save the best for last, Kate. Tell us what is your third and final pick. All right. So I've only got $1,000 left to allocate. So I guess that's what I'm going to have to allocate. My last one is an Australian ETF, but it's investing in US companies. So I'm not really supporting Australian innovation here today. But it's the Vanek Wide Moat ETF. The ticker code on the Australian Stock Exchange is MOAT. And I think that encompasses what we talked about with our checklist, which was looking for companies with a large moat around them. So um, go back to episode one if you want to learn a bit more about moats. But essentially, this ETF invests in, I think it's 40 to 50. I looked it up the other day, but I can't remember anymore. Yeah, US companies. It is actively managed because they've got the Morningstar research team actually looking for companies that have a large moat. And um, I'm sure there was like a 50-page research document about how they actually go about finding companies with wide moats. Uh, But because it's more actively managed, the management fee is 0.49%. So you are paying a bit of a premium for this active management. Compared to, say, an index fund. Yeah. But compared to other active funds, it's actually quite low. Yeah, They normally charge over 1%, right? Mm, so if I don't want to go and look for the best US companies with strong moats, I could use, this is probably a more tactical ETF, I would say. It wouldn't be the core of my portfolio. But yeah, that could give me exposure to US companies with strong moats. And so I, I guess the key risk there is it's definitely, it wouldn't be a core position. 
It's actively managed and thus the higher management fee and it's very growth focused. So it's got no blue chips in there really. Well, yeah. I mean, blue chips by American standards, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They've but, got quite yeah. different. But so yeah. like for one, for, so this is a company, this is an ETF that I own. At one stage, Amazon was in there, mm. which is another one of your your picks. But things tend to get booted out of the Mo ETF if they are no longer undervalued. So things tend to turn over pretty quickly. Yeah, it's definitely, there's active management. It's not yeah. a, it's not a slow passive ETF. Yeah. Um. So it's done quite well in the recent years, but that it might not continue if we- yeah. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Yes. As they say on that super ad where they cup their hands. Owen's favorite ad of all time. It's strange. Imagine walking up to someone in, in the street and actually doing that. Compare the pair. Compare the pair. And then someone walks at you like that. You'd be like, get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what uh, Owen says every time anyone comes near him. Yeah, actually, I am allergic to people. But um, okay, so Catherine, that, that's great, Kate. Actually, that's my final moment. pick. Congratulations. You are an analyst and you have <laughs> shown your abilities to go from the ASX to overseas and back again, but kind of not. With an ETF, you are effectively the all-rounder. Oh, yeah. It's just it's just the portfolio in itself. Yeah. You're the I Shane mean, Watson what could of, this, go of wrong? this podcast. I Is that a cricket player? <laughs> yes. yes. Well done. The all-rounder. You three sporties. I'm, I'm the only one in here that's not a sports fan, so. Kate's got a pretty good cover drive for listeners <laughs> uh, listening at, in our home. LBW knows how to go out pretty well. So that is wonderful, actually. Well done, yeah. Kate. Really well done to you because you don't do this every day and um, you've come up really, really I'm good. I'm glad. It's, there's a lot of – you put so much time and effort into <laughs> analyzing companies. I do not have that attention to detail. Like yeah. 100 plus hours on one company. I just I just couldn't crack that. But you don't do that straight away. It's often accumulated over I many not years. not gone through my apprenticeship period. <laughs> well, I feel like you have. But anyway, let's move on to the – the, the third and final from um, the biggest hitter in the team, which is, or who is Catherine? Catherine, what is your number three and how much are you investing into it with these fake dollars? I think I only have $750 left. So this will all be going into my third and final pick, which is zero. <gasps> so it's on the ASX, ticker code XRO, mm-hmm. and it just basically does beautiful accounting software, which is its tagline. <laughs> But if I remember correctly, I think accounting software used to be like you used to sit on these CD disks and you have to install them locally on your computer. And for business owners, you'd have to get all of your financial data onto a USB stick and then send it off to your accountant. Whereas nowadays there's zero and it's a platform that you can access anytime, anywhere and on any device. All you need is an internet connection. So from a business owner's perspective, it consolidates everything into one place and it handles things from invoices to cash flow, bank recs, employee leave. And accountants, they were the original champions of Xero. So they would um, tell all the clients to use it because instead of a customer bringing a bunch of bank statements at financial year end, um, all the data is already in Xero. So accountants can just check over that, create reports, complete tax returns. So this uh, removes a lot of the manual entry and you don't have to like categorize spending and all sorts of different things. So it backs up instantly to the cloud. And I think Owen and I used to work at, we shared an office with an accounting company. And one of the guys that used to take his hard drive, hard drive with him home every day. Shout out to Daniel if you're listening. <laughs> hey, Daniel. With the hard drive. <laughs> so yeah, removes all of that. And an important part of Xero is also its integration. So you've got the Xero platform. And it connects to like e-commerce providers like Shopify, payments providers like PayPal, um, CRM, so Salesforce, Point of Sale, Square. 
sorry, there's this, this huge zero marketplace. So developers can come and just add on heaps of different products to the platform for integrations. Other things I like is, so in, it's a bit technical, but it's called the LTV to CAC ratio. So the basic idea for any sustainable business is that it costs less to acquire a customer, which is the customer acquisition cost or CAC, than what the customer pays over their expected lifetime, which is the customer lifetime value. So at the moment, Zero has an LTV to CAC ratio of 6.4 times. Which means? And this means that Zero thinks that it gets $6.40 back for every $1 it spends to acquire a customer. So basically, Zero is spending naturally all of this money in sales and marketing, advertising to attract all of these customers now, which in the future is going to pay heaps of dividends. Not dividends, but like, yeah. yeah figurative. Figurative, yeah. Dividends yeah. <laughs> down the line. It's super cool. sticky, pricing power, all the good things. Uh, in terms of risk, it's already priced for a lot of growth at the moment and also competition. So in the US in particular, there's a big, big company called Intuit, which offers a service called QuickBooks, and that's definitely the leader in the US. There's also Sage as well, um, MYOB, FreshBooks. So Zero isn't the only player, but it's definitely a disruptor. Cool. Zero. Who owns that share? I do. I do. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I looked at no. it like four years ago. <laughs> oh, it's never too late. It's never too late. That's a good one. Zero. So X, uh, X-E-R-O. Yes. Yes. X-R-O is the ticker code. Yes. Cool. A Kiwi company that is now Australian. Thank you very much to our New Zealand friends. Kevin, you've got an interesting tech business, I believe, is your number three. Yeah. My final business, Owen, is Adobe um, and that's A-D-B-E and that's listed on the NASDAQ exchange and I'll be allocating my last $900 to it. It is an incredible software business um, that's really benefited from moving its products into the cloud. It's got a few verbs in its product suite. Think Photoshop for photo, image and graphic design, PDFs and Acrobat for digital documents, Premiere Pro for video editing. So it really does own that creative space. It's the market leader. It's the top dog. It's the industry standard. And on top of that, it's just got this amazing business model that is insanely profitable. Um, it's still growing very, very fast. Um, it's got a rock solid balance sheet that is built like a brick shit house, as oh, one would say. Is. And it's got an amazingly stable and experienced management team. So it, it's really surprising, actually, that it doesn't get mentioned near enough uh, mm. when people talk about the very best businesses in the world. But it, like for me anyway, it, it is one of the very, very highest quality businesses out there. And the result of all this is it makes mountains of cash. They're actually so cash flow positive that they return a lot of this money back to shareholders by buying back shares. I mean, it's something that, you know, one of uh, Catherine's picks, Apple, always also does. Risks, uh, the, the software industry is always really subject to disruption. You know, we're keeping our eyes out on you know, local players like Canva, if they are starting to really make some inroads into Adobe's moat, that's something that we'll re- mm. need to reassess. And then you've got Apple again really going hard with some of its products like Final Cut Pro, especially when they've paired that with their new M1 chips. Um, they're getting, you know, some pretty good performance out of that. And, you know, finally, it's not really cheap because it's it's a growth stock by any traditional sort of metrics. Um, you know, people talk about peer ratios and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think what you do get though however is when you purchase adobe shares is you are getting exactly what you pay for you are getting you know one of the very highest quality businesses out there so um that is my final pick wonderful mate i like it i own shares can you tell me can you remind me 
This is the company that has $10 billion. Is it $10 billion of assets or and only $1 billion of physical assets? That's correct. And that's the beauty of the, the software business model, yeah. right? Like, you know, they don't have to go out and build a factory uh, to produce more goods. And, you know, when they write the code for Photoshop or Acrobat, like they can just put that in the cloud and then, you know, whether a million people use it or 10 million or 100 million people use it, it, it just works. Yeah. When you first come up with this company for us, I was just blown away. Like this is, I can't believe that this type of thing exists, to be honest, how profitable it is. And I'm not just saying that to blow smoke up. It actually is a really fascinating business if you actually dig into the financial statements, but it does have risks. So we mentioned Canva, which is a, an easier platform for people like us just to jump on and make some social media posts or graphics or whatever. And the M1 chips inside Apple are fine-tuned with Final Cut Pro, which is their Apple's version of Adobe's Premiere. So uh, there are risks, but yeah, fascinating business. Good one. Okay, so we are left. We have allocated, ladies and gentlemen, $9,000. of our $10,000 hypothetical dollars. We are at the very last one. Big day of spending. And I'm going to let y'all down because I'm going to pick one of the companies that has already been picked. Oh, Oh, no. How boring. This is a double down buy alert, as someone (laughs) might say in our industry, a double down buy alert exclusive to podcast listeners. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. It is, drum roll please, Kate. Don't be a Dilbert. Don't be a Dilbert, but it is zero. So Catherine's pick, ta-da, is back again. And I'm allocating my final $1,000 to zero. That takes it up to a grand total of uh, $1,750 of the 10,000 fake dollars that we are allocating, which by the other people sitting in the back, they know that that equals 17.5% of our total investment, which is a pretty high allocation to one particular company. So keep that in mind. That's a lot of fake dollars. That's a lot of fake dollars. (laughs) That's a lot of scratch. Okay. So I'll just add one thing to what Catherine said. Uh, Actually, I'll add two things. The first is that Xero has made something that was totally boring, cumbersome and expensive, super easy. In the past, you might pay in like going back 10 years, you might pay $100 an hour for someone to go over your receipts or your spreadsheet to try and work out where money went and which account it should be associated with. Now, Zero does that for $52 a month if you're a small business. That is incredible in terms of the value creation from this business. Second thing that I'll add is I just looked it up. I think Zero has a market cap. Go back to the previous episode to learn what market cap means, which is the total value of the company of about $17 billion, $17 or $18 billion. I'm going to go on record to say that I reckon five years from now, I think zero might be even $50 billion. Big call, very big call from the, the rascal right here. Um, that said, I think it is not going to be a straight line. This is a company that is super high growth, super differentiated. And that means that it's not going to be an easy ride if it gets there. That's if it gets there. But I'm very confident in Zero. I think it has the potential to be one of the bigger companies in Australia. And the reason I think that is because what Zero has done so far is it has created the backbone for accounting software. So what we know now is Zero, you put it in, it reads your bank statements, blah, 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 blah. But there are thousands of apps and developers actively working to create new tools that link in with Zero, And that being so close to the coalface of these businesses is going to be more and more valuable over time. Like think of ways that it could grow in terms of, you know, offering loans to these businesses. 
actually becoming the point of sale service or providing gateway services, integrating with this, that, and the other. I think it has a long way ahead. And I think the amount of money that Zero charges right now for its customers is tiny to what it will be in the future. We pay $52 a month at Rask. I would pay, don't listen to this Zero, $500 a month for what it does for us. And if you just think about that, the enormous value creation that this company has in front of it and its ability to extract more value over time, I think it's underestimated. They recently increased the price of Zero software $2 a month. And that might not sound like a much, but when you've got over a million subscribers, $2 a month is a lot of money for doing no more <laughs> than you're already doing. And I think that we're going to see more of that in the future. And I'm, I'm happy to pay the bill because it adds so much value to it. So we're going to come back in five years and see five if years. your call was correct. Five years. Or All of these you... 10 picks are going to be zeros, but um, hopefully not. Let's be honest. No, this, is, um, this has been a great yeah. change, Kate. I think this is a great way to kind of Uh, end on a high with our shares month. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that these are just, all of our ideas today are just a part of our portfolio. We, all of us, we have diversified portfolios with ETF shares, managed fund, maybe property in Owen's case. But if we do invest in these companies and own some of these companies, it's just a small portion. It is not, we're not going out and putting our full thousand dollars that we have on red. So just keep that in mind. If you uh, are listening today. Yeah, we've got to, the, the reality is our Australian Finance Podcast has a lot of beginner investors listening. So don't just run away with this. Don't be Dilbert. Please listen to that dis- disclaimer at the top of the show. Go now, use all of the skills that we've just taught you over the past month and what you're going to learn over the next three years during your invest- investing apprenticeship and learn about these companies. Learn about Apple, learn about Amazon. Go hiking in South America, Kevin. I think it's the fun part is learning and and don't be afraid to, to own, you know, many great businesses. Uh, don't limit yourself to, you know, five or ten. And I think that just means that you, you're, you've got your chips sort of spread over a number of brilliant businesses. Yep. Not everyone will work out. You know, that's just the reality of investing. But, yeah, it's all about being in the game. Got to be mm-hmm. in it to win it. <laughs> I feel like that's an Australian piece of slang. Got to risk it for the biscuits, says Catherine. Wonderful piece of advice. Okay, if you like this episode, we'd love to know what you think. Yeah, it's the first time we've uh, done this kind of thing. I know we did a a 10K episode last year, but that was just Owen and I. So we brought in the big dogs today. So um, let (laughs) us know what you think about having Kevin and Catherine on the show. (laughs) Is it a dog's breakfast or is it a rip snorter of an episode? You have to let us know by jumping into Facebook or letting us know on Instagram or wherever you choose to just... Let the socials know what you're doing. Good, good job, Owen. You're I so am old. an old geezer, according to Kate. So <laughs> I guess he's got a few ruse loose in the top paddock. <laughs> there we go, got it in. A few <laughs> ruse loose, indeed. <laughs> All right, thank you so much for listening, Kevin. Thanks for joining us. Lovely to be here, guys. Had so much fun, Catherine. Thanks for dialing in. No, thanks for having me. And Kate, thanks for joining me as always. I'm here every week. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. 
If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. 